Hi, and welcome to the Genesis Podcast. I think it's so neat that you're able to join us through this medium, and it means so much to me personally to hear that this has been used to encourage so many of you. It has always been the posture of Genesis to tangibly extend the love of Jesus in various ways, both locally and across the world. We support programs that assist families in need, contribute to ongoing works and building projects in Mexico. We've built a latrine and cafeteria for St. Andre's School in Haiti, as well as are advancing a food program there that we hope will help feed the children for years to come. The money collected for all these endeavors could have paid for a facility of our own many times over, but instead, we've intentionally chosen to be a mobile community since we began. We now have before us an opportunity to invest in a building of our own. We're not doing this, however, without considering the works we're committed to or even the works we feel compelled to keep doing in the future. But we're asking, if you've benefited from this podcast or from anything that Genesis has done, would you consider partnering with us by donating to this work directly at www.thegenesisstory.com and click on the Building Fund tab. Joshua told the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Together, let's prepare for an amazing tomorrow. Thanks, and God bless. Someone sent me a video this week of a famous preacher talking about how we need to get back to the way things were and made me think because this person isn't that old and I'm thinking okay back to the way things were when was that that he was thinking about was it 50 years ago was it a hundred years ago when there was segregation? Was it longer than that when women couldn't vote? Was it longer than that when there was slavery? Was it longer than that? I mean, my point isn't to pick on the United States, but we have a tendency to romanticize the past and not see that the reason things have pushed forward to where we are today is because a lot of people weren't happy with the way things were. And if we think that establishing this government that is going to make everything okay, I think we are giving the power of the gospel away. And Peter, as he's writing this, the majority of this book is about suffering. The church was going through tremendous persecution. And Peter is writing to these believers in the church, exiles who were dispersed in all these regions that we talked about last week. He's writing to them to encourage them. And remember, Rome was killing Christians. That was something that was going to take place in a huge way. That was the government that they were living under And what happened? Did this tyrannical, abusive, hostile government put a squash to the things of God? No. It flourished. In spite of that government that as bad as ours is 
it ain't that bad. Wasn't as bad as it was then. And yet Christianity flourished. Why? Because of people like Peter and because people like Peter saw that this gospel was entrusted to people just like him. And so I have no problems complaining about the government or politicians. But when we talk about going back, I think we are surrendering because the future that God wants to build is ahead. And we're not going to get there by going backwards. We need things to be better than they were in the past because they weren't good enough for the past for people to want to move forward in faith. You see, this gospel wasn't as captivating as it was in the first century when people saw people were giving their lives for this, when people saw that they were actually giving of themselves to one another, when people saw the love of God being expressed in a powerful way through these people. It was a magnet. They weren't seeing that 50 years ago. We actually started isolating ourselves. Randy talked about this a couple of weeks ago when he spoke here, how the size of the family has gotten smaller, but the houses have gotten bigger, right? We, we keep getting more and more secluded. We don't reach out. We don't know our neighbors. We don't extend ourselves as much. And so we're really moving in a direction that is more exclusive instead of inclusive to the gospel. And so... Starting at 1 Peter chapter 1, I'm going to start at verse 1. We're going to read all the way through verse 9. And again, I've changed Bible translations. For those of you who weren't here last week, I am now using the new revised standard version. If you want to know why, I'll tell you why later, but that's what I'm using. It was a while changing, but I did. We'll see. I could change again, but right now that's what I'm using. Um, so First Peter chapter 1, it says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to the exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen and destined by God the Father and sanctified by the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and to be sprinkled with his blood. May grace and peace be yours in abundance. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who are being protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, even if now, for a little while, you've had to suffer various trials, so that the genuineness of your faith, being more precious than gold, that through though perishable is tested by fire, may be found and result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Although you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with an indescribable and glorious joy for you are receiving the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Peter starts and he gives this description and he's continuing to lean into this 
fatherhood of God example, which he talked about even in the first few verses, God the Father. He goes on and he says, God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. But, you know, as he starts off, he says, blessed be the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he starts really with praise because it's not enough to try and give a description of God. It starts with an adoration of God. Have you ever met someone who just really um, is impressed by their father? Who I remember there was a guy I worked with. His name was, uh, was it Jason? Uh, he went by, he got another, he, they called him JC later. I'm trying to remember what the J stood for. But I think it was Jason. Yeah, it was Jason. And I remember working with Jason when I was doing fire sprinklers. And we were talking about the weekend was coming up, Father's Day, and he and his brother Joey were just going on about their dad and they were just bragging on their dad. And I just thought, man, I've never heard anyone brag so much about their dad, you know? And it was inspiring to me. I thought, man, that's the kind of dad I want to be. I want to be the dad where my kids say, oh, my dad's the greatest. Oh, man, my dad would do this. And it was very, as they were singing their dad's praises, so to speak, it actually gave me a deeper appreciation for him than if they were just giving me information. And so Peter really begins with this kind of uh, praise to God. He starts with this worship. Worship. A description only gives us so much information. The adoration of this description moves us further. And he's like, blessed be the father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By his great mercy, he has given us. Look what he's done for us. His great mercy. And what has he done? He has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He has given us a new birth into a living hope. A new life that has resulted from a life that is born within. Peter is wanting the people he is writing to who are undergoing intense persecution to not lose sight of who they now belong to. And it always strikes me as so strange because how do you write to people who are being persecuted that God is a merciful God? To me, it's like, well, it's not being merciful to me. You know, we're going through a lot of persecution. This is difficult for me, but he's telling us his mercy has given us new birth into a living hope. You see, this new birth isn't something that is here on this world. In fact, he's going to talk about heaven in a bit, but it's about hope in life itself. It is about a a hope that transcends the circumstances. It's a living hope. It's not one of these kinds of hopes that, well, I hope the Dodgers win. It's a living hope. It's a hope that is growing. It's a hope that is gaining strength and momentum. It's a hope that can't be quenched by the circumstances because it's living. It's not a stagnant hope. It is something that is pushing forward. 
in a powerful way that they are actually a part of this movement that Jesus began and they are continuing it in spite of what they're seeing around them. And I just keep wanna hammering that home because we get so focused on the things that we see that we lose sight that we have been born into a living hope that God has changed our hearts and is wanting to change the hearts of the entire world and that we get to be a part of that. It's not about getting a new car or getting that home or having these things. It's about something much greater and much bigger. And he's pushing us into this direction and it happens through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And because Jesus has been given this new life on Easter, this resurrection life, because he has this new life on resurrection, we now have as individuals the same hope. Remember, we're told that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is able to bring life to your mortal bodies. What is that doing? It's including us into this life. It's including us in to this hope. And so this isn't just about individuals being transformed. God has, through the great action of the resurrection of Christ, created a whole new world. But it's veiled. And we don't see it. But it's starting to unfold. And it unfolds through his people through the church. At the moment, it's being kept safe, out of sight, behind this thin curtain that's separating our world, earth, and God's world, heaven. And think of heaven as God's world, which isn't another like planet. It's God's world, but it's not quite here. We know what it's supposed to look like a little bit through the teachings of Christ and through how Christ behaved, but we don't see it. The kingdom of heaven is like, right? And he was talking about the things that are here and it's breaking through. It's like someone plants, you know, seeds here and they begin to grow, but then someone plants weeds and you don't pull out the weeds. Otherwise you're going to pull out what seed you let them all grow. But at the time, This is going to come and bear fruit when God brings it all to completion. And so right now, they're both growing. The weeds as well as the wheat. And we can't see it clearly, but it's here and it's happening. And it started happening with the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that it changed everything. It changed the cosmos. It changed creation and it's changed us because now we have a living hope that is imperishable. And also, verse four, and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. There's that word heaven again, God's world. It's not out in the clouds somewhere. This inheritance is for you. It's a part of God's world. And I'm trying hard to try and bust the image that heaven is a place you go to when you die. 
because that's not what the scripture talks about. It talks about a new heaven and a new earth. The whole idea was God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven, that the reign of God was supposed to take place here, not somewhere else, not up on a cloud somewhere. Yeah, the presence of God is described as heaven, but the idea of heaven is the dwelling of God, God's world, God's place. And you see, Peter is pushing that That is the hope that you have here in this world, even though you're being persecuted. You've been born with this new life into a living hope. You've been given this inheritance that is going to be yours as God is starting to establish his will here on earth as it is in heaven, bringing about this newness in us, through us, and eventually he's gonna bring it to the earth itself. Verse five, he says, who are being protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed. There's so many tenses in these few verses that it's just almost like, are you talking about the future? Are you talking about now? It's ready to be revealed. So that means it's not here, but it's it's something that we are being protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed. And again, I ask the question, were they being protected? They were dying. Were they being protected? <laughs> so, huh? Yes, they're being protected, but now we're starting to see the, the idea here because as he's saying, you're being protected even though they are being persecuted. So how do those things work together? And this is where we have to look at things maybe a little bit differently where we start seeing as protection is more than just a physical protection, that it's actually a protection that is kept into this living hope a protection that I am still a part of this inheritance, a protection that I am a part of the work that God is doing, and the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Salvation, again, means wholeness, this completion that is going to be revealed. It's ready to be revealed in the last time. The word ready seems like it's ready, right? But in the last time seems like the future. So is it ready or is it waiting? Yes. That's the answer. You see, it is ready and it is being revealed, waiting for the last time because it's not completion until Christ returns and brings the completion. Remember when Jesus told his disciples, look out for the harvest is ready. Pray for the Lord of harvest because the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. You see, he saw things ready, even though there was going to be incredible persecution. The time is now. And I wonder if it's just that we don't see how ready things are. If we don't see 
the living hope that we are called to, if we don't understand that the salvation is ready and it will be revealed, but do you look out and see the harvest? Do you look out and see a living hope? Or is it, oh no, it's between Clinton and Trump. Oh no, there's terrorists. Oh no, there's ethnic racial tension. Oh no, there's police violence. Oh no, there's problems in the East. Oh no, is that the limit of our vision? Or do we see that, no, things are ready. There is salvation that's being brought about right now. And the ones who are going to be a part of that are the ones who have been born into this living hope, the ones who have been brought into this inheritance. I love that into the living hope, into the inheritance. Those are the things that we've been brought into for the faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Verse six, he says, in this you rejoice even now for a little while while you've had to suffer various trials. Again, one of those verses that I'm just like, that don't seem right. In in this you rejoice even now for a little while you've had to suffer various trials. I don't rejoice when I suffer various trials. Not me, usually. I don't know about you guys. Do you rejoice when you suffer various trials? Usually we have meltdowns. Usually we kind of give in to these things. But you see, there is something more inside of them. Karina and I were talking today just about how there are times when you get angry and you start to maybe lash out. You yell or you slam the door. I know none of you do those things. Right? Or you, you ever wonder why people, whenever they have something in their hand, they just want to throw it? Like it doesn't matter what it is. It could be your glasses, your cell phone. How many people have broken their cell phones because they were angry and just threw them down? Okay, don't raise your hands if it's you. But I know, I know a number of people where that's happened. But as cell phones get more expensive, we think twice, right? Ah, no, I'll pick something else up. But there's this idea of I'm going to, uh, I'm so angry that I respond. But then Kareen mentioned that there's this time when you're going to respond, but then you think about, well, I could give in to this anger, but if I give in to this anger, then this anger is going to take over. And it's as if you can actually see the anger is not you, even though it's in you. But there's something else in you. There is something in you that says, don't give in to this anger. So you can't be the same as that anger. Otherwise, you wouldn't be having the conversation about the anger. You following me? Yeah. Right? If you were just the anger and just the angry person, you would just give in to the anger. There wouldn't be a conversation. But the fact that you could stop and say, if I continue slamming doors and throwing things, I'm just going to get lost in this and it's going to take over. The fact that you can say that and see that shows that there is a separation because there is something else in you. There is a living hope. There is the spirit of God who dwells in you that is able to distinguish between those things that would take you into the dark side, so to speak, or choose not to do those things. The same thing happens in the areas of addiction and struggles. If you just give in to these struggles and you see yourself as them, 
Well, maybe what you need to do is be able to see yourself as that's not me. I am someone else. I can choose to give in to them, but I can also resist them because I have within me a living hope. I have been given an inheritance because salvation is working within me. And in this I rejoice, not because I'm suffering, but because I have something that is greater than the circumstances that I am experiencing. Whatever those circumstances are, there is something much, much more. And it was this hope that pushed this gospel forward. It was the reality that they lived in that was real enough to them to affect the way they lived. And it overwhelmed the culture that they lived in. So that people saw them and called them Christian. They're like Jesus. See, people haven't been calling us like Jesus. We've been calling ourselves like Jesus. That wasn't the way it was. They couldn't deny something else was driving them. That's what needs to happen in us. That's what needs to happen in our communities, in our churches. It doesn't need to happen in our government. It has to happen in us. And if we want it to happen in our government and not in us, then we're negating our responsibility. See, this living hope, this inheritance is for people in spite of where they live, in spite of who they are ethnically. It is God's world that he is establishing and he's trying to bring these things about. So in this you rejoice, even now for a little while, you have had to suffer various trials. Verse seven, so that the genuineness of your faith being more precious than gold, that though perishable is tested by fire may be found to result and praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. I love the word genuine. It's one of those words that I try and use or think of. If I were, you know, I want to be genuine. I want our community to be genuine. It's like, I want us to be real. I want us to not have a facade. I don't want it to be, you know, we're playing church or we're playing games. I want us to be genuine. But when Peter here talks about the genuineness of your faith, he connects it to tested with fire. You see, the only way we can tell if we're genuine is if we go through difficulties. That's really how you can tell if you're real or not. It's when you go through the fire, what stands up? And here's the thing. If you go through the fire and you don't come out well, you stumble, you fall, you, you slam the doors, you throw the cell phones, you curse, you, you give in to the temptation, whatever it is. If you find out that it wasn't genuine, that's a good thing. Because now you know. I was talking to a friend who had an affair. And when it came out that he had had the affair, I was talking with him. And 
he was telling me it was stupid and I don't know what I was thinking and I did this and it was just the wrong thing to do and he's feeling terrible and he's caused devastation in his family. And I told him things are better now than they were yesterday because now the truth has been revealed. You see, you could have continued living the lie, pulling the wool over your wife's eyes, but now the truth is here because now it's genuine. This is where you're really at. And now you can really move forward. Before, you were moving forward in a disingenuous way. You were playing the part. You were acting, and it couldn't accomplish anything because it wasn't real. Oh, you went to church, you did all these things, but the genuine part was this. And so now that it's been uncovered, it's actually a good thing. Oh, it hurts like crazy, but it's good. It's good for me, David said, that I've been afflicted. Why? Because it shows me what's really in me. And that's a difficult thing. When you go to counseling, usually the counselor, if they're good counseling, they bring out the things that are wrong, right? If you're a good counselor, you don't say, yeah, you're doing everything good, no problem. Just give me the money. Keep doing what you're doing. No, you're here because there's a problem. Something's wrong. You got to change something. If you're not willing to change anything, you're going to stay the same. And so here, being genuine, that genuine of genuineness of your faith, it's precious, more precious than gold that's perishable. It's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Now, I've read a lot of things on what that means when Jesus Christ is revealed, and I'm not really sure. I don't know if that means when Jesus Christ returns, when the kingdom of God is established here on earth, or when he's revealed in you because your faith is genuine and it starts to really be seen. And that's what I was kind of leaning to. That as this takes place, you're tested, it results in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. How is he revealed? He's revealed because that's the living hope you're living in. That's the inheritance that you're a part of. That's the salvation that's ready here now and being revealed. And so here we see that this idea of suffering that was very close to home there was given purpose as opposed to escape. It wasn't, here's how you get out of the problem. It's, here's what's happening in the problem. So many times when we're in a situation that's difficult, we want to know what can we do to change the situation instead of saying, how can I change in the situation? I just want this to end. I just want this to stop instead of what can this do in me and how can I be changed through this? And this is, again, where we move forward instead of trying to fall back. I just want to go back to when everything was good and quiet and peaceful. Oh, you mean when we were detached and not communicating and ignoring each other? Yeah, that was great, you know? No, what I want to do is actually bring healing and wholeness. And so I have to push forward in spite of the difficulty. 
I know that the situation here is doing something that's forcing me to change because I can't continue in this way because it's not right, whatever the reason, something's going on. That's how Jesus is revealed in us through the testing, through the fire. In verse 80 says, although you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with an indescribable and glorious joy for you are receiving, that's current. You're receiving it now, the outcome, that's future of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Again, a lot of tenses here, present, future, and how do they work together? And the idea of the salvation of your souls is something that I think, again, we have misunderstood from a lot of the things maybe we grew up in, in an evangelical Christian community. Salvation of your soul is you don't go to hell, you go to heaven. But the salvation of your soul is so much more than that is it is that genuineness that he's talking about. It's the wholeness of who you are. What does it profit if a man gain the whole world, but he lose his soul? Is that just that he goes to hell or is that that he loses who he really is? And now you're just a shell. Now, now you don't see the distinguishment between the anger and you or the temptation and you or whatever it is. It's just you. you. You've lost who you were to this world and the things that are there. So now it's you. And I think the salvation of our soul is something that is a lot more serious it's something that we should guard our souls. We should take care for these things because this is what we are receiving. This is what God is giving us now because we believe in him, who in Jesus, who has brought this resurrected life, this, this living hope, because we have put our faith in him, he has changed us and he's changed the world and this is something that is our hope that we lean into and so we rejoice with an indescribable and glorious joy for we're receiving the outcome of our faith we are being made whole we are bringing brought into a relationship with the living god that's genuine we are having communion, fellowship with God, we are receiving the inheritance that Jesus has given to us through this resurrection. We are walking in this living hope. We are a part of what God is doing in this world. We are walking in this world, but we are walking in the kingdom of heaven. And nothing in this world can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Why? Because it's here holding us. Because it, it is a part of our lives. Because it has taken hold of us. Because it, it doesn't perish. It doesn't fade. It's something that is kept by God himself. 
And it's something that we get to walk in. And this is all because we haven't seen him, but we love him. We believe in him, even though we don't see him. And I think that is so true. I mean, Peter was writing people who hadn't seen Jesus, but he had seen Jesus, even like we're talking in 1 John on Sundays. There is the eyewitness, but then there's the people who see Jesus through Peter, through, through John, through the disciples. Now people get to see Jesus through you, through me, who are walking in this living hope, who are walking in the reality of the kingdom of God, who see heaven as not something that I'm going to die and go to, but it's an inheritance that's mine now. And I'm ready to receive this, and I believe it, and it's resulting in the salvation of my soul. This new identity with the powerful mercy of God is keeping us safe even though the world is a dangerous place, we go ahead and we're building the floor plan for the kingdom. This letter is really telling us the meaning for our lives today, a place where we can feel thoroughly at home here, in this world, right now, in spite of everything that's happening we can feel we have a place in God's world because that's what we're living to. Does that make sense? Any questions? Yes. <laughs> well, when it says that Jesus ascended, it says he ascended through the heavens. They saw him go up, but then he went through the heavens. Um, I don't know where he went or if we would call it a, a literal place. We know that he is seated at the right hand of God the Father, but God does not have a body, that the universe can't contain him. And so what does a resurrected body look like? Well, we know it has flesh and bone because Jesus did, but it could go through walls because he did. You know, it, it appeared suddenly and then um, disguised himself so that they didn't recognize him. So there's a lot of things that I don't know question. I think the problem is when we start to think of heaven as a place, we start to lose the fact that God is also establishing that work of heaven here. The Bible doesn't talk about us dying and going to be with God in another place, cloud. It talks about God establishing a new heaven and earth here, that the kingdom of heaven is going to come back to earth. So are you saying that it's somewhere and it's coming back? It's already somewhere and it's coming back? Or it's, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, I... Is it already somewhere that it's going to come back? Or is it here and it's starting to be revealed? It could be both. I mean, if there's more than one dimension, you know, I mean, we, we're even now with some of our ideas with um, quantum physics and uh, string theory where we believe that there are multiple realities existing at the same time. I mean, it's, you know, a little bizarre for my mind, okay? 
But the idea is, I mean, it's not far-fetched to think, you know, we know that everything is made up of molecules, right? And, and so this is solid because of how quickly the molecules are moving. You know, when you've got water where the molecules aren't moving as quickly, you can go through it or sand or something like that, where if I was able to move faster than this, I could actually go through it. So what if the kingdom of heaven is a reality that is taking place all around us, but we're just not able to recognize it, see it, and engage it because of the reality that we're living in? Then why does heaven, why is there a new Jerusalem? What is the whole point? <laughs> well, I see, I think the whole point is that. The whole point is the restoration of the earth. The whole point, I think, of the scripture and the gospel and the resurrection is to take the fallen world that, you know, fell with Adam and to restore it. When Jesus is called the last Adam, it's because he is going to change the fallen things that have taken place where the lion will lie down with the lamb and they'll put away their, you know, swords and all this idea of this future is supposed to be something that takes place here. It's supposed to be a reality that takes place on the earth. There is a new earth. What is the new earth? Well, it's something that is in line with what creation was supposed to be originally. And so I believe that when we go to the end and the revelation that John's talking about, he's talking about the restoration of all things, and he's talking about that taking place here. It's not we go and, and live somewhere else. But when we die, we don't contain these bodies, right? They, they're gone. They're a shell. And absence with the body is present with the Lord. Where is the Lord? Well, isn't he all around us? Or is he past the Milky Way on a little planet? You know what I'm saying? It's like, what, what are we trying to say? When we say heaven and we start thinking of a place, what we're doing is giving ourselves something that we can mentally grasp hold of that we can feel comfortable with. Well, I, I think it is both. I mean, we're talking about things that are um, eternal in nature, you know, absent with the body, present with the Lord. Does God deal with time? No. Okay, so if someone died a thousand years ago and someone dies right now, they both appear before the Lord now in God's eyes. Because if there's no time, then it's just like, yeah, you're here. So... How does that work when we start thinking of, well, when are things going to be coming back in restoration? Where do I go in between there? You don't have to go anywhere. You're there. Well, it talks about those who died as sleeping because that gave the people who saw them something to grasp hold of, that they weren't being punished, that they were, sleep was actually an idea of rest. And they didn't want to give, like when Stephen was stoned to death and they said, and he fell asleep. Well, he didn't just lay down and go to sleep, but they didn't want to say he died because they believed that you don't die. Does that make sense? You know, it's like, well, he didn't, because when you, you belong to God who is life, you continue living, so he slept. Well, he's dead. They stoned him to death. He's bloodied and, and they buried the body, but they said he slept because they had to give another terminology for the fact that he's not here, but they believe he's still alive. Well, I don't think we can understand fully 
you know, what's, I mean, I, I don't want to sound like I've got it all figured out because I, I don't, you know, I just know that there are a lot of things in scripture that point to God doing something more here on earth than it just like going to burn and it's over with, you know, which I know some thoughts have been taken or we've heard about those things. That's why I think Revelation someday is going to be an important book. Um, but yeah, uh, yes, the deal. Well, there are a lot of ideas. Um, a lot of people believe Abraham Bosom was just an understanding of people who were uh, part of the promise of God's children. Abraham's bosom is you're a part of the promise of God. And so when Jesus talked about, you know, going to Abraham's bosom, it wasn't so much a place as an idea of this is where the people of promise go. And the whole idea of the rich man uh, looking to Abraham, you know, was it a literal looking or was he trying to give this figurative understanding that even though you're a part of the promise people, you are not necessarily going to be a part of that promise because of how you treated the poor man. I think that was a real important part of that uh, parable that, you know, Jesus said to the Pharisees. You know, here they were, oh, Abraham bosom, that's where we go because we are the promised. And he said, no, he cried out, I just want this to happen. I, I think he's also showing that there is a distinguishment, that there isn't just like everyone who's born in Israel or wherever has automatically this place with God, that it was real important how they behaved and that there is torment, there is judgment, you know, I think that's a reality. I think we have to, you know, own the fact that there is a responsibility that comes to us and how we live and that there is hell, you know, which is separation from God. And then hell, I mean, that's another thing. Boy, we could go there. You know, is it a lake of fire? Is it outer darkness? Is it both? Is it two different? Are they extreme? You know, some people want to get so literal about every little thing that they start saying, okay, well, there, here's the lake of fire, and then here's outer darkness, and then, you know, they want a place for everything, but I think Jesus is trying to get a point across. I mean, when he uses the word hell, it's Gehenna, and Gehenna was a place where they burned the trash outside the city, and the fire always burned. That's what it was. But was he talking about a trash heap? No, he's trying to point out that this is a terrible place and that there is a terrible place for people that don't live in line with who God is. And so I think he was using an illustration to help people see that there is judgment. You know, And so now here's the trash heap. We don't go to a trash heap when we die. We don't go to the Gehenna, the, the place, with the, but there is some kind of judgment. There is what is called hell, where there is justice served. Well, and, and truthfully, I mean, throughout church history, there have been a lot of views on hell. Probably in the last, oh, I don't know, since the 1600s, um, there has been a more defined view of hell uh, because of some of the things that happened out of the Reformation and the writings that have been there, where hell has become a lot more, this is how it is, kind of a mentality um, that was born actually from uh, a lot of Greek writings. Regardless of that, there is something 
that is taking place that we should be aware of and we should be worried of. I mean, whatever you want, if it's a lake of fire, if it's outer darkness, if it's a trash heap, something is being said where the, the worm doesn't die, right? Isn't where, the, you know, there's weeping and gnashing of teeth where the fire isn't quenched and the worm doesn't die. Does he mean really worms don't die? Or is he trying to give a picture of there's something that's really bad taking place? Well, I, I hope so. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's really interesting to go back in history and like the Jewish people didn't believe when they died, they went to another place. So much as they believe when they died that their life was continued through the people that they gave birth to. That's why it was very important for them to have children, especially sons that would carry on their name because they believed that that was how their life carried on and carried on. And so that was a, a big part of their beliefs. And then those things started to develop and grow. And I think God started to give more insight, you know, especially in the New Testament, to a lot of the things through Christ and just what's taking place. You know, and so there is a, a I don't want to use, well, I don't know what other word to use, an evolution that takes place in human spirituality that took place from the time that God gave a promise to Abraham, to God gave the law to Moses, to God gave uh, the prophets insight to Jesus, who is the declaration of God. And now we have Jesus, but now how do we take the teachings of Jesus and put them into place? You know, we don't have slavery in most of the world like they did at Jesus' time. Why? Because I think we are saying that this isn't how you treat other people. Why? Because this isn't how Jesus taught us. Why didn't they just say, stop slavery now? Probably because it couldn't have happened in the world at that time. But through time and progress, as people start understanding these things, we start putting a lot of these things that are bad to rest and, and getting rid of them. And then we start taking on things, hopefully, that are going to be better and continue to progress. And, and that's all giving evidence to the kingdom of God is here. It's, it's starting to show up in these ways, but it's not going to come to a culmination until Jesus returns, whenever that is. And I believe that's happening. He did ascend through the heavens. He is coming back. He will come again. You know, he will receive us to himself. You know, that passage you read. So if I die, does that mean he came for me or what happens to me first? You know, because if I did ascend, I will come again, okay? What happens in between then? You know, when, are, when is he coming again? You know, if I die, is he coming now for me? Is he receiving? Well, that's why Paul says, absent from the body is present with the Lord. But did I go to him or did he come to me? You know, I, I don't know, you know, I think I went to him, but, I, you know, I think that that's not the point of what really is trying to be said. You know, but I think that there is something supposed to be happening here other than waiting for the end, you know, and I think that's really, really important. I think that's really, really been missed. I think that's a huge, we're going to go to heaven someday. Oh man, this world sucks. It stinks. It's getting worse. It's getting worse. It's getting worse. Not everything's getting worse. I don't want to see things get worse. I want to see things get better. I don't want there to be, you know, starvation in the world. I want to see starve. We should be able to feed everyone on this planet. We have the means. We're just greedy. 
I want to see that take place. I don't want to see that poverty. I don't want to see children, you know, sold into slavery. I want to see that end. I think that's our job. I think that's part of the kingdom of heaven here on earth. Thy will be done and earth is it in heaven. Well, I want to see that done on earth. Why? Because that's how I think heaven's supposed to be. And so I want us to do those things that I think God would do. Because if he's going to bring this about, I'd like it to be as close to that when he does return, that we did our job and we were moving things forward. And again, I think that's something that the church was known for. They were known for their generosity. Paul was getting money from the church to take it to the church in Jerusalem. Why? Because your brothers are in need. They're starving. They're hurting. They help the widows, help the orphans, help the... Why are you supposed to do Because that's what Jesus did, because that's what heaven looks like. Everyone has helped. Everyone is assisted. And so I'm not trying to blow out your ideas of heaven, okay? I really am not. If you think heaven is out there somewhere, that's fine. It doesn't bother me. But I don't think Peter is talking about someday when you die, you go there. I think he's talking about something that is happening, you know, that is something that is ready, you know. That's why this idea of salvation ready to be revealed. It's ready. It's ready to be revealed, you know, the receiving the outcome of your faith. Receiving is a present tense. You're receiving the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls, that wholeness that God wants to bring about. I think all these things are helping us to, to live in a world, again, put yourself at the church at that time, undergoing intense persecution, and Peter saying, man, you guys, something good is happening. What? And they believed it. They believed something good was happening, that the testing of their faith was producing something. It was transforming them. And they didn't just believe it, it was showing in their lives. And that's how they could take and be so prevalent that Rome had to say, we got to do something because we can't kill them. They're everywhere. We'll join them. And so Constantine 300 made Christianity the religion of Rome. Some people think that's the worst thing that ever happened. It's where we got our Bible, though. Some good things came out of it. You know, they put together the canon of Scripture. A lot of things happened, but... Yeah, I mean, definitely. I think God is always at work, you know. He's always at work, and in different ways, I think... God is working long-term and long-distance. I think, you know, that that is God's desire is not to just uh, bring about the change in one person, but to bring about a change in humanity. But it takes all those people to do that. So, yeah, definitely. I mean, I think the more people come to faith and a realization of who Jesus is, the more that idea ideal spreads, you know, C.S. Lewis called it the good virus, you know, that starts to spread throughout other people and throughout the world. Any other questions? No? Okay, let's pray. Father, I do pray, Lord, that the heart of what we are sharing here, Lord, that you are at work in the midst of 
the worst circumstances would bring hope, Lord. And I pray that everyone here would have that living hope, God. Lord, I, I pray that we would be people who would look forward to what you are doing instead of looking back to what you did, that we wouldn't want to go backwards, but we would want to push you forward. And I pray, Father, that with all the unrest that is in the news today and in our country, that, Lord, like the first century church, we wouldn't look at these things as overwhelming, but we would look at these things as opportunities for you to to shine and to bring healing and bring restoration. And if persecution comes and if the church starts to become limited and legalized against and laws against the church, Lord, that we wouldn't look at that as a, a bad thing and, oh no, what's going to happen? But Lord, we would look at that even as Peter writes as the testing of our faith, Lord, that is going to to allow you to shine even brighter. God, that there is nothing that is going to quench this gospel, that the gates of hell will not prevail against it, let alone the government of a country. Father, I pray that we would have hold of this faith, this living hope, Lord, this inheritance that cannot be corrupted, that cannot be taken away, that will not fade no matter where we are in time or on this planet. It will endure. And we thank you for that, Lord, and I pray that we hold that hope and we push it forward. In Jesus' name, amen. You have been listening to the Genesis Podcast. We invite you to join us at one of our weekly gatherings. You can find more information at www.thegenesisstory.com as well as opportunities to help financially support this podcast. Thank you for listening.